Okay. My battery may be dead, but the mics isn't. Uh, but uh, it's great singing those songs like that, isn't it? It's, uh, I like singing the old songs. There's a lot of truth in those and also in the new songs, isn't it? Yeah. We're going to start something new today. We've uh, been screaming. Uh, people have been talking a lot about one of the major books, I think, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. And we talked about a little bit last week about starting that. We prayed about it and uh, we, with the staff. Uh, there's only three of us, I think, that are here on staff during the week. And uh, we've all gotten this cold, so I guess you could call it a staph infection. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, we're all sharing it, aren't we? Just like we should. Right. Yeah. We're going to, we've uh, talked about this, and we're going to begin this morning in in the book of Hebrews. And uh, I hope you have read it. If you haven't, I, I know why you haven't. I believe it is one of the most important books in the New Testament because it is probably... I believe, I don't think probably, but I believe that it is the best hermeneutical bridge or the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament because you get to see God's truth, His plan of salvation from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament as a whole. Um, it's certainly one of the most intriguing books in the New Testament, I'll say that. Uh, we don't even know who wrote it. Uh, shocking? No. And we don't exactly know to whom it was written. Um, and from the clues that are included in the book, we know that it was to some Jewish people who were in a small group, maybe even in a house, a small group meeting. Uh, they were, uh, had been persecuted because they'd been converted to Christians. Um, they were actually persecuted because of their Christianity, unlike us, right? We know this because they were Jews. They had a really firm knowledge of the Old Testament, and we know that they had been persecuted because of that too and some of them had even as we read last week were, were, were shrinking back to their old Jewish ways because the world just didn't like Christianity so why do we want to read this book anybody have an idea because a lot of you have asked to why do we want to read this book let me tell you why it's, God, it's in God's word and everything that's in this book is a gift from God. He spoke it. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. He spoke it, and every word is true. Um, I said this before, and I got in a lot of trouble when I said this in the pulpit the last time, but I'll tell you, the more I read this book, and I do read it every day, the more I read it, and the more I find out about Jesus Christ, and I find out about his truth, the more I know that every word in this book is true. It is indeed the spoken word of God. And because of that, we have to trust that he gave it to us. And we're going to have to trust everything that's in it as he reveals it to us and as he speaks it to us. Um, And I also believe that there's a lot of things in here we don't know. So we're going to have to trust that God himself, who's spoken this word, has given us all that we need to know about him as we draw closer to him, which is what you read earlier. 
We are being drawn to him through his word. So we need to keep in mind, too, that this book of Hebrews, which is about the Jewish people who were actually had lived in, as Hebrews all their life, and they, they practiced being Jewish all their lives, knew the Old Testament from beginning to end. They lived it every day, just like Deuteronomy 6 said to do. You know, they actually studied it morning, noon, and night and taught it to their children morning, noon, and night. They had all kinds of reminders around them. They put it on their forehead, word on their foreheads, hidden places they couldn't see. They put it on the doorposts of their home. So these people were real Jews. They were really practicing what God had taught them to do. We don't seem to do that anymore as Christians, do we? They knew what they were doing, and then they had been converted to Christianity. They'd found Jesus Christ. They had received him into their lives. Um, so we have to do this, folks. When we study Hebrews, you have to have your Old Testament open the whole time. Because this is the whole word of God. We're going to consult the whole word of, word of God. Um, a lot of people find this book hard to understand because of all that. Hebrews assumes that, that you have a certain amount of knowledge of the Old Testament when you're reading it. And here's the thing. It discusses all the major figures, the covenants, the uh, biblical theological themes that are all the way through the Old Testament. It even spends a significant amount of time on the um, discussing minor people, uh, characters of the Old Testament like Mel- Melchizedek. When was the last time everybody here talked about Melchizedek? Yeah, he's important. He's really important. This book is one of the most important bridges, I believe, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's what theologians call hermeneutics, a bridge between the old culture and this culture. And here's the thing. I don't want to be like the old, old culture. I don't think you do either. But I do want to know the truth that applied to them that also applies to me today. And that's what this is all about. What truths can we find there? Because God's truth live forever, don't they? There is no end to his truth. And it, it, the God of yesterday is the same God of today and always will be. How do, we, how do we learn that truth that we apply here today? So look, so in order to understand the New Testament letter, we need to review or renew or maybe for some even go back and learn um, or get familiar with the Old Testament. But here's the thing. I don't want you to be afraid of that if you fell into any of those categories because Hebrews guides us through the Old Testament as it applies to us here. But do keep that Old Testament open. So look, let's start here. And I can tell you this, we're only going to get through three verses today. Don't be afraid. Ed's only on the second verse in Ephesians, and he's been there, what, three weeks? <laughs> uh, so that's good. I like that, you know. We're, uh, matter of fact, I think he may, may do some of this here in another week or two, and uh, so he may go back to Ephesians. I don't know. We, we, I, I want us to read this in knowing that the purpose, I, I'm going to give you a heads up ahead of time. This book of Hebrews is about the supremacy of God. It's about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He is overall. He is the supreme being of everything. We try so much to anthropomorphize him. I'd make him into a a person like you and me to, to project ourselves into him as human beings. But he is God. And he is the supreme God. He's supreme above everything. We get to see God through him. But let's get it. Don't get ahead of ourselves. Let's begin in verse 1. 
Long ago in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand with majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Actually, read through verse 4 because that's only two sentences there and it ends there. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword because it cuts deep, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we read this, that we see you more clearly. Lord, that because we see you high and raised up, and Lord, we can know you better by your word, that we are raised up to new levels that you want us to be. Oh, Lord, may we know you better and see you more clear. And all of it, Lord, for your glory that we're drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's really interesting. He began this thing with long ago. Huh. How many gospel messages do you read that says long ago? This is going to be an explanation of the gospel. So the writer is going to tell us the gospel story from the beginning when God first spoke. You remember when that was? God spoke the universe into existence. God spoke existence into existence. Go figure that one out. By God's word, he spoke, and everything is. He isn't starting with, the, with the, the little Jesus baby boy in Bethlehem, is he? He's starting with a creation story to tell us about the gospel with the covenants of the Old Testament. He's placing the story. This is what I love about this and what we need to see, just the hermeneutics we were talking about. It, it, it's, he's placing the story, the epitome of salvation. Jesus Christ, the epitome of, of the salvation story where it needs to be in the middle between the creation of existence itself and the creation, the new creation, which is coming. By the way, now that I think about it, there's a lot of new creations in here today, isn't it? This is really all about the creation story, isn't it? From beginning to end. That's why it says from long ago. The person in the work of Christ can only be rightly understood when it's in its proper place. The center of God's salvation plan. That's why uh, I said this earlier. Chuck and I were talking yesterday. You know what? We as Christians, we carry the whole Bible, don't we? And the Christian's Bible starts with Genesis, not Matthew. That's why we have to take the whole story. Understanding the story of Jesus and his work on the cross means understanding that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is not God's first intervention into the world. It began a long time ago. Long ago, at many times and in many ways. You know, it's not his first word to humanity, is it? We we always talk about Jesus being the word, the logos, which really means revelation. But Versus the, the, we'll talk about that later. It, it, it has, you know, he's given us his word. And here's the thing, unlike the first time, he's not doing it in a vacuum. 
Yahweh spoke for hundreds of years, look at this, to our fathers by the prophet. He spoke in a whole lot of different ways. You know, if you start thinking about all the way that God, God has, has uh, spoken to us. He spoke to Moses and, and Sinai and thunder and lightning and, uh, and with the voice of a trumpet. And he whispered to Elijah. He whispered. He spoke with thunder and lightning. And then he whispers to Elijah at, um, on um, Mount Horeb um, in this still, small voice. And Ezekiel was informed by visions, Daniel through dreams. Um, he appeared to Aram in human form and Jacob as an angel. He, God declared himself by law, by warning, by exhortation, by type, by parable. He's done all of that. And then when God spoke and his, his prophets prophesied, they used nearly every method of communication except CNN. Every communication in their message. Amos gave direct, got direct oracles or, or gave direct oracles from God. Malachi used questions and answers. Sounds like my third grade school teacher. Ezekiel performed bizarre symbolic acts. And, and Haggai preached sermons. And Zechariah used mysterious signs. A lot of different ways to communicate, isn't it? And God's doing it all through his people. And all his communi- communication, no matter what form or when it was, and, and it dramatically demonstrated God's love for you and me. In his plan of salvation from beginning to end. That's what this whole Bible is about. You know, and here's the thing. It was never cute, as my daughter-in-law says. It was never trite. It, it, it was never boring, never unknowable by the, his audience. It was never irrelevant. It was always the right message at the right time. Because it was God's way. To his people. And here's the thing. It was always in sync with his previous words, wasn't it? God's speaking. Do you see that? God's speaking through the whole Bible. And he's speaking to you and me in a whole lot of ways. You know, every time I, I read through this and I realize that, I think, why can't we hear him? He's all around us in every way that there is. And here's the thing. Every time he spoke, we see him speaking to people, and they hear him, they rise to new levels. New levels of commitment to him, new levels of faith. Abraham achieved faith to offer his own son. That levels, that's a level of faith. Whoa. Moses stood up against Pharaoh through his mighty miracles, through his faith. David killed Goliath. Da- Daniel achieved and maintained incredible integrity in Babylon, of all places, and, but in all, all of this, the, 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 the adequacy of God's speaking and, and, and his progressiveness, bringing us to a new level every, every time, it, it's, it's continuity and it's power. God's revelation of himself wasn't finished. It wasn't complete. One of the most important things to, to notice in, in Hebrews is that in these initial verses, God speaks. Do you ever think about that? God speaks. He does speak all the time, and he's speaking to us in his word. This is his spoken word. It happens to be in black and white ink in my Bible, sometimes red, but it is God's spoken word. And these, these verses we're looking at this morning remind us that God has spoken throughout history, and he's now given his final revelation in Jesus Christ. 
The Bible also reminds us that God's revelation is a part of his amazing grace. Uh, You know, we don't talk about God's grace when we talk about salvation. I mean, that's normally when we do talk about it, when we talk about salvation. We really don't talk about his grace in the context of revelation. That's, that's one of the things that we're going to learn from, from this right here, about his revealing himself, his revelation of himself. You know, God reveals himself to us all around, doesn't he? Here's the thing. If God didn't reveal himself to us in this world, where we are and where we live, we'd have no knowledge of the meaning of the cross and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, would we? We wouldn't know about him being our salvation if he hadn't revealed it to us in his word. We wouldn't know how to respond to the gospel. In other words, we wouldn't know God if he hadn't revealed himself to us. I used to have a book on my shelf. We were looking for it this week. Um, it, it, was a, it was a really great book. It's called The God Who Speaks. Anybody here ever read that? It's a great book. Uh, Carl Henry wrote that, I think. And uh, I, I tried to find it, so I'm just going to have to give you kind of a synopsis of the cliff notes, okay, about what the book was all about. But it described the revelation of God himself to us as giving up his privacy. Did you ever think about that? God didn't have to reveal any of the intimate details about himself to us, did he? But he did. He allowed us to see himself, as his personal self. We have no claim on God. We don't deserve that. We don't need to know about his personal life. Hmm, do we? But he did. He wanted us to know because he's a God of love. He's a God who loves us. He didn't have to give up his privacy so that we could know him. It was his pure grace for him to speak to us. Again, his spoken word, revealing himself. You getting this thing? God speaks, revelation of God. Those are actually doctrines that we learn about here in Hebrews. Okay. It's pure grace for him to speak to us, and and we we certainly don't deserve his giving us his words. If God didn't reveal himself, though, if God didn't speak, we'd be lost. We'd be living in darkness. God revealed God's grace. So let's talk about Revelation for just a second here, because I want us to understand that before we get get uh, into Hebrews. When we read God's word, we find... He shows himself in two types of revelation. Have you ever ever seen this before? you ever talked about this before? Two kinds of revelation that God gives us about himself. He he spoke to us in nature. Remember that? This is called general revelation. There's no excuse for anybody not to see him. Psalm 19, that's the one we actually recite a lot in in our own house because we actually pray. You're going to think this is corny. But we actually, can I tell this? Okay. We have, when we pray at our house, we even make the dog stop. Because everything that has life and breath praises God. Amen? Listen to this, Psalm 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims in his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voices go out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. 
kind of reminds you of Romans 1. Remember Romans 1? Uh, in Romans 19, it starts, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. These are the people who say that they, don't, they can't see God. There is no God. But he says, What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, since he created it in the things that have been made. And God still speaks to us all around us. We just don't take time to notice, do we? And here's the thing. He hasn't stopped. He reveals himself to us all around in his general revelation. But here's the thing, folks. It's not enough for for us to understand his salvation plan through Jesus Christ. We know there's a God. How many people say, oh, yeah, I I believe in God. That doesn't make them saved. So God has another way of revealing himself to us. And this is called special revelation. It's a type when God speaks directly from the mouth of God. And that's what scripture is. Scripture comes from God directly to us. And that's why we say when scripture speaks, God speaks. You ever heard that one? Yeah, those of us who believe that this is truly the word of God know that one. When scripture speaks, God speaks. In verse 1, we heard God speak from a long ago. And now let's hear him in the last days. God's still speaking in the last days. Listen to this, verse 2. But in, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now we're seeing a contrast between, between the, the two different periods of time when he spoke long ago through the fathers and the prophets, but now he's speaking through Jesus Christ, his son, in these last days. God's spoken action is what I would call it, and, and his spoken action today is Jesus. Uh, here's why we need to read the Old Testament along with the New Testament. Don't be afraid of it. God's covenants and, and, and God's promises are always made of Promise and fulfillment. God's the ultimate promise keeper because he always fulfills his promises. They're always fulfilled. Uh, We're going to find all through this book of Hebrews that the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. There's too many many churches out there that say, oh, we're a New Testament church. Uh Uh-uh. We're a whole book of the Bible church. I hope. Are there any amens here? Thank you for that. And here's the thing. The climax of God's redemption story is found only in Jesus Christ. And he's revealed right here through his spoken word. God's not speaking through the prophets now. We use that term, I think, wrong, like we talked about this morning with some of the other terms, like apostle or whatever. You know, the prophets... Of old, he doesn't use them anymore. Now he's speaking through a son, his son. (laughs) And his his son is the fullest and most complete revelation of, of the father possible because he shares his father's divine nature. He's the second part of the Trinity. Jesus is God. And he shares everything with his father, his image and everything about it. And, and God is designated him 
is the heir of all things. Do you see that in here? You know what that means? We don't really get that anymore. You know, earlier in my life, I had a degree in estate trust and gift taxes. Do not hold that against me or expect me to do anything with it now. But I have seen, <laughs> thank you, and I, I have seen so many, I don't think I've ever seen an estate of any size that the family didn't fight. Ever. Uh, so, this is different. Jesus is the heir. He's the son, but he's the heir of God. Let me tell you how that worked when this was written. Here's a hermeneutical bridge you need to know. The heir got everything. There wasn't any dispute. The heir got everything. So, the father has given Jesus everything. Control of everything. As his heir. Now, here's the thing. Back then, if the if the father gave his his heir, his son, if you wanted to do business with the father, you have to go to the son. There's no other way to get to the father. Oh, wow. Maybe that's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and, and, the, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Amen. Huh. So he really knew about being the heir, the son of God. And here's the thing. Jesus is part of God's spoken word. He's part of his speaking today. This is the last part of verse 2. Through whom also he created the world. They're talking about Jesus here. That sounds like John 1. Do you remember that one? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Hmm. Jesus isn't just the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's not just the epitome of God's salvation plan. He's the one who was there when it was made, when it all started. Jesus and God are one in the Trinity. So here's the doctrine of the Trinity right here in front of us. We're going to find all of that. as we. Are you ready for this? Huh? There's a lot here, isn't there? We ain't even started. We ain't even gotten started yet. Jesus said he's the beginning and the end. And, uh, you know, he, he said the creator and the completion. Uh, that word in the Greek is teleos. And what that really means is it's, he's reached completion. It doesn't mean it's ended. Sometimes we think that. It means we're now at the completion. And we get to let, that goes on for eternity if you're part of it. The God who creates is the God who redeems. Whoa. It's Jesus. He's the kind of guy we need to know, isn't he? Our creator and our redeemer is revealed in Jesus. We're using all these things. Revelation, beginning, end, whoa, Trinity. What are we learning here? So now let's look at, remember, the, 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 this whole book is about the supremacy of God's, let's look at it in the, in the final, uh, God's final revelation, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. By the word of his power. And making purification for sins. There's one that's kind of off. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the, of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to the angels as the names he has inherited and most excellent than theirs. Look, Jesus is not only the creator. He keeps it all working. 
He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's not just holding the, you know, there's that, that kind of thing of, remember Atlas holding the, I'm sure I may not be able to get back up here. You know, the, holding Atlas. You, you, you know, remember that? You've seen all that stuff? That's not Jesus. That's, that's a guy that's strained. He's actively holding up all things, and he does it by his spoken word. He's holding everything together, everything we are. everything. Everybody here is being held together by the spoken word of Jesus. And the word here, and it, it's not just logos. You know, we, we like that word logos because that's the kind of thing that ad agencies use and all that. So we can kind of, uh, uh, logos, it really talks about the revelation of God. That's what that, that Greek word means, and that's not the one that's used here. The, the Greek word here is rima, which is the spoken word, the written word of God. Just as the universe was called into existence with a spoken word, it's being sustained by the utterance of Jesus. Whoa. Kind of powerful. Not one amen here? Was everybody on their knees praying? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a hymn. In the, there's a lot of hymns in the New Testament. You know, I mean, Pat knows that. In, in Colossians 1, there, there's a creation hymn, and it says this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus the creator. How awesome is the supremacy of Christ as the creator? <laughs> and the sustainer, the one who's holding it all together. We sing that a lot of times too, don't we? You know, talking just a minute about that. We can't create anything out of nothing. You know, the theologians call that Latin term, ex nihilo, out of nothing. We, we can't do anything out of that. I like that, that old joke. I'm not going to, well, I don't want to run over. Yeah, let me tell you one quick story. There, there's, a, there's, this, there's a really silly story, really silly story about um, God and Satan are having a talk one day. And, 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 and Satan says, you know, I can, make, I can make something better than you can. Jesus said, really? God says, really? Go ahead. And he says, okay, what are we going to make? He says, well, I'll make something simple like a rock. He said, okay, you go first. Jesus says, you go first. And Satan sits there and he looks at it. You've got to have some dirt. Jesus says, get your own dirt. You can't make dirt. We can't do anything. We can't make anything out of nothing. But Jesus can because he's God. So let me tell you this. If you, all the nothingness you think you have inside of you, Jesus can take all that nothingness away and make a new creature out of nothing. You know, he's the God of everything, isn't he? He can make physical things, material matters, and he can also make spiritual things. Boy, let Satan draw that one. Never will work, will it? Jesus isn't just the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He isn't just the epitome of God's salvation. He's the one who was there when everything was made from the beginning to the end. He is an awesome God, isn't he? And he speaks to us every day, all around us. He can create things spiritual, like, remember this? David prayed this one after he'd sinned with Bathsheba. He says, Create in me a clean heart. That's a spiritual thing, isn't it? God can do that. 
And, and you know, my, my all-time favorite, Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. Creation. Thank you. The old has passed away, and see, the new one has come. It's a new creation, spiritual, material, every which way. God can do that, and he can do that for all of his people. He can take whatever you are, your nothingness, and make it into somethingness in Christ. There's nothing beyond the creative power of God, and he holds you together. He can hold the universe together, and he'll hold you together. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. That's the closest I could come. The NASB had it right. And look at this. He's the radiance of the glory of God, an exact imprint of his nature. This radiance idea comes from Shekinah glory. Remember the shininess? It wasn't. I've covered mine. It's, not, it, it's you know the, the shininess. Remember that in uh, oh in, in Exodus, you know the, the the Shekinah glory that was actually that was reflected radiance off of Moses' face, uh, but it came from God. And uh, remember the dedication of Solomon's temple. The Shekinah glory was so big, everybody had to get out. It was a it was kind of a run thing to save your life. And and this is not a reflected glory, though. This is a, a glory that radiates what it says. It radiates from God himself, from Christ. You know, I love it on the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them. And that's the radiance that came from Jesus himself. It wasn't the reflected glory of God. It came from Christ because he is God. He is part of the Trinity. Mm. It was his own essential glory, and it was also the Father's together. And it, it was his brilliant glory that blinded Paul on the Damascus Road. That's why he could be an apostle, because he actually saw the glory and the radiance of Jesus Christ right there in front of him. He's the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And here, Jesus, so is, is completely the same as the Father. That's a hard one, isn't it? You know, he's the exact imprint, the exact expression. You know, that's hard for us to understand as humans. You know, another, I hate using my personal thing, but my dad and I were the same size. I actually wore his shoes after he died for a long time. We could wear the same clothes when I got older. Uh, he had more hair. But we, 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 were, you know, we could be exactly the same. Some people even said we even looked alike. And, uh, but... I could look like him, but I could never be the exact imprint of my dad. Jesus is. That's a God thing. That's a hard thing for us to even get and understand. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. He and God are the same divine essence. That's what we like to say. And when you see Jesus, here's the thing, folks. If you're a believer and you see Jesus in this word... And you see God. Jesus actually said that. This is the way we get to see God and know who he is through Jesus. But he's also a distinct person. And this is all part of the mystery of the Holy Trinity. So there we have another doctrine right here, the Trinity. Right here in Hebrews. These are things that people think about but we don't really know about. We're going to find out here. Are you ready for this trip? But wait, there's more. 
Jesus is a superior revelation of God. And when we see him, we know just what God of the universe is like. We know how he thinks. We know how he loves. We know how he acts. And God is the spoken word in his son, Jesus Christ. And, And look, he's the ultimate communication. The ultimate speaking. He's the final word. He's the, that's the superiority, the supremacy of his son. I think too many times we try to draw Jesus to us rather than drawing him, drawing us to him. He's God. And he says, come. Have you come to him? Well, I pray that you have. And if you haven't, I pray that you will. But here's the thing. We got, so we had this, this picture of Jesus' superiority, and it, it suddenly it's transitioned into a human priest, a worker bee. Look what it says. The person of Christ is seen through his work for our purification. Whoa. That, that's really talking about something that we really only understand on a human basis. That's, and that's not normally con, uh, associated with the sharing of the gospel story. Purification? How many people do you say, hey, you want to, you need to come and be purified? Yeah, we really don't use that term much, do we? And it comes from the Old Testament sacrificial system. Now we're going back to how we understand the Old Testament, applied over here to the, to the New Testament in Hebrews. Um, things were sacrificed before God. Life was sacrificed before God. Blood was spilt before God. As a sacrifice, Jesus is the exact image of God, did something that no man or or priest could ever do. He offered himself by himself alone as a sacrifice that paid for you and I to be purified so that we could come to God, so that God could see us through Jesus. Only Jesus could have done that as a man. And he did. And then, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as superior to the angels the name he's inherited, more excellent than theirs. Oh, people. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Let me tell you something. As a priest, the priest never sat. Did you know that? The only place we, we, ever, we see anything about retirement in the Bible is they made the priest retire at 50 because they'd been standing all their lives. They stood all the time. When they were, matter of fact, when they, when they would go into the, to the sacrifice, they put little bells on these long robes so they could hear them walking around in there because they're always standing. They would always go. They'd stand and put the sacrifice at the glowing, the, the, the Shekinah gloried uh, sacrificial table. They were always standing and always walking around. And they put little bells on them so they could make sure they hadn't been nuked. But they were always standing, always standing. Um, Matter of fact, I I put... But Jesus, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, sat down. And every priest stands... Listen to this. This is from Hebrews 10. And every priest stands daily at his service 
offering and repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Amen. If you want to applaud, that's okay. You can say amen or whatever. Jesus did it, and he sits at the right hand of God, doesn't he? Oh, and then when Jesus, I think about Jesus, was hanging there on the cross, and he said, it is finished. And then he went to sit at the right hand of God. It is finished to tell us that. That same thing that comes from the word teleos, which means it's completed. The completion has begun. It's another way to look at that one. Another time. Jesus' awesome work on the cross makes the idea that we can do anything to pay for our own sins with works of righteousness or anything like that. It's just plain blasphemy if we think that way. Jesus did everything, all the work. Nothing else could have been done, and no one of us is ever worthy enough to to earn anything or do anything. There is only one way to purify, and that is the blood of Christ, sacrificed before God. The only way to justify is by faith in his blood. And Paul says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, Romans 3.21. And then the best part, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, Jesus rules. You know, I have this hat that says God reigns. Maybe I ought to add that. Well, God does reign. Jesus is a part of God, isn't he? He is God. God has told us ahead of time in Psalm 110. He said, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at the right hand oh, until I make your enemies your footstool. And Luke 22 tells us that while, while he was still on earth, God, the Lord Jesus applied uh, the psalm to himself. He says, but from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand. Remember his argument with the Pharisee? From now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. The right hand is the place of highest honor. Paul says in Ephesians 4, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he wrote to the church of Philippi, he said, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord to the glory of God. Amen. Paul says in Romans 8, who is, who is the one to condemn us now? Who condemns? And he gave us the answer. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is the right hand of God and intercedes for us. <laughs> Jesus Christ is interceding for us today, sitting at the right hand of God. What are you worried about? Not me. The glorious Son of God, the supreme being above all, is still at work interceding for you and me. You know what? He was the the supreme, uh, I've read this one, they call him the supreme agent at the creation. And he's the epitome of the plan of salvation. That's what we've seen here this morning, isn't it? And he died sacrificing his life for eternal life for you and me. You know what? If you've never received Christ, if you never let him in, 
If you never received his offer, know this. He will come in and he will forgive your sins. And he'll bring you into his loving arms. Turn away from the life that you have now. If you've never given it to him, I promise you, he has all the power to take away all your sins, all the the longings that you might have for this world. I promise you, he will take them away. They do it in his own time, but he will take them away. He promises you that he will. And as you can see, he keeps all of his promises and he fulfills all of them. This book is loaded, isn't it? That's just the first three verses, folks. Whoa. It's going to be a race, buddy. <laughs> and look at these first three verses. We've seen these doctrines. I wanted to write this down because, you know, theologians like to work, look, like to use these terms doctrines. That means the teaching. You know, what have we been taught? So here's what we, the, the teachings which we kind of put in neat little notebooks and put them up on the shelf. No, no, I don't do that. He'd, he'd take all these, these, these teachings of revelation, of creation, the Trinity, the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the atonement, and the knowledge of who Christ is. They call that Christ, Christology. So that means the knowledge of Christ. And here's what we've learned. He's the Son of God the revelation of God, the fulfillment of God in the Old Testament, which he's told us to. He's the heir of all things, it says, the true heir in the right sense, in the Jewish sense. He was there at creation. Um, He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact image of, of God's nature. He's the one who holds up all things, keeps it all together. He's the purifier of God's people, perfect purifier, and the one who intervenes for us even now. And that's just the first three verses. We're going to be able to handle all this? Mm. Let me tell you what I know. If you'll bear down on this, keep that Old Testament open and read this New Testament and bear down. If we can all bear down together, this book brings everyone who does that to a new level, a new level of faith a new level in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. You know, we used this word this morning. That way we get to see him as the treasure, as the way God sees us. A peculiar people, we said this morning, right? That means the treasure of God, which we are. And he's going to take us out like anybody would do a treasure and look at us and say, wow, these people really love me. They really are mine. They are my creation. Because he can see us now through Jesus Christ. And we're going to get to know a whole lot better. He alone is worthy because he is superior and supreme above all things. Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you so much for your revelation, for your spoken word. Lord, for your showing us, revealing yourself to us, directly to us, through your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus, we praise you. And know that you're still at work for us, interceding for us between us and God the Father. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. And we look forward to your teaching us through your word more about you, who you are, and who we will become as we become more like you in Jesus. And it's in your, your precious name we pray and ask
Amen.